Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Circle passes to the right side. Ethan Bear scores. I heard I scored right after he passed, so I think that's pretty powerful. Um, yeah, I mean it was meant to be. You know, maybe he was there for me on that shot. Here we go. It's Gino Ojic and Hunt. Ojic is naked. Waist up. Creighton wants Ojic. Ojic ought to be suspended from here until a couple of years from now. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the beautiful Kintech Studios in Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. I'll say good morning to everybody now. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. And good morning, Laddie. Hello. Uh, Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we're coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell them more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I think my voice is 100% back. You're back. You're back. It's back. You're it's back. back, right? You're back. That, was, that, was, that was pure, that Kintech read. I kind of miss the old flow voice, though. Well, Andy, yeah. Bring it back. it's always there if you need it. <laughs> there it is. Uh, we have a really, really big show ahead. There's a million things that we need to get into. So we're not going to waste a lot of time setting things up. Guest list today, 6.30, Craig Morgan, who's covered the Arizona Coyotes for a long time, including back when Rick Tockett coached the team. That'll come in handy later. We'll talk to Craig Morgan at 6.30 about that. 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us. No shortage of things to talk about from the weekend, the wildcard weekend, which, aside from the Seattle-San Francisco game, Pretty entertaining. Yes. So we'll talk to Mike about all that, and we'll set up Monday Night Football as well. Playoff Monday Night Football, Bucks and Cowboys later today. 7.30, good friend of the program, Dave Softy Mahler is going to join us from Seattle Sports Radio. Uh, we'll talk to Softy about the end of the Seahawks season, what to look forward to in the draft. we got to talk about Seattle Kraken as well, because the Seattle Kraken went on a seven-game road swing and won all seven. I believe they've got an afternoon game today. It's Martin you, Luther King Day in the United States. Do you know that n- but. no NHL team has ever done that? Swept a seven-game road, they, tri- road trip? They, like no no yeah. team in NHL history has gone out on the road yeah. for a seven-game road trip and gone a perfect 7-0. and And now that record belongs to the second-year Seattle Kraken. So Dave Softy Mahler is going to join us at 7.30 to talk about that. At 8 o'clock, it is IMAC. We're going to talk about what the Canucks did yesterday in Carolina, uh, salvaging something from what was a disappointing road trip. We're also going to talk about uh, some very sad news that came along on Sunday. I'm sure almost everyone has heard it, but if you had not, uh, longtime Vancouver Canuck fan favorite, folk hero Gino Ojic passed away at the age of 52. Uh, that happened yesterday, so we will put a break on what's happening on the show. Let's go right into that now. Let's tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? So as I just mentioned, it's always difficult to pass along sad news on a morning show where you're always cracking jokes and trying to be light and funny, especially at the start of a show. But there was no other way to start the show and no other way to spend a good chunk of time this morning than by talking about Gino Ojic. One of the most popular players to ever suit up for the Vancouver Canucks passed away on Sunday at the age of 52. Gino obviously played 12 years in the NHL and spent time with the Islanders and the Flyers and the Habs, but it was very clear in the outpouring of emotion that happened yesterday that he was a Vancouver Canuck through and through. It was a very sad day, as a lot of people remembered. One of their favorite players of all time, Gino Ojic, passing away at the age of 52. So you know how you and I, Halford, have been kind of been in the in the sports game for a while now. We've been to all sorts of games. We've seen the players up close. And for us, you know, if you see this guy or that guy, it's not a huge deal anymore. We're not like, wow, that's actually him. Yeah. With Gino Ojic? It was still different for me. Yep. Every time I saw him at Rogers Arena, and he would be there a lot because he'd watch a lot of games 
in the alumni um, box, which is right by the uh, press box. And so going down after games in the elevator, you would often see Gino. And I still was like, man, there's Gino Ojik. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at times over the last few years, he hadn't looked so great. But he still had that. He was he was a big dude. Like he and and you could see his his big mitts mm-hmm. and like he was just he was just a big dude. Like yep. and always had a smile on his face. Like he always looked really happy to be at a Canucks game, uh, regardless of his life situation. Um, I'm gonna miss seeing Gino Ojic at the Canucks games. There won't be another Gino because hockey players like Gino don't really exist anymore, at least not in the NHL. Gino was barely out of junior when he got called up to the Canucks in 1990. He was either 19 years old or just 20 years old. He joined the team right around the time Pat Quinn took over as head coach. I don't know if his first head coach was Bob McCammon or Pat Quinn, but it was right around this time that the Canucks were actually turning into a serious hockey franchise. Trevor Linden was only a few years into the league. Igor Larionov had come over from the Soviet Union. And of course, Gino's future good friend, Pavel Bure, Mm -hmm. was close to arriving. Um, There are going to be some people listening on the show, some younger people that didn't watch those teams. So just... To give you a little bit of information on on Gino's history with the Canucks, um, Pat Quinn drafted Gino. Pat Quinn was first the general manager, but he wasn't allowed to coach for a few years. Yeah, long story. Um, but he drafted Gino, and it wasn't just because Gino Ojic was a tough guy. Don't get me wrong; Pat Quinn wanted a tough guy because that was still the time in the league where. There were some meatheads out there, and they ran around and they tried to intimidate. Um, but Quinn didn't just want a goon. He didn't just want a meathead. He also thought Gino, having watched him play in uh, junior hockey in Quebec, he also thought he could play a bit, and he thought he had like a head for the game, like a brain for the game. His hockey IQ was actually quite high. Uh, and when Gino joined the team, he only spent like 17 games in the minors and then he got called up. The next few years were some of the best years in Canucks franchise history as the team went from kind of a perennial joke for most of the 80s uh, and turned into a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. They nearly won the Cup in 1994. And the next year came Gino's perhaps his most famous game. In the playoffs against the St. Louis Blues, game six, when he beat up pretty much all the Blues he could get his hands on, it was game six of their series against St. Louis in the first round. And the game before in game five, Glenn Anderson had speared Pavel Bure. I think he might have actually cut him for a few stitches. Um, And then in game six, the Canucks were getting blown out. They were up 3-2 in the series. So St. Louis were trying to force in game seven, and they were doing a pretty good job of it because they were up 7-1. But then Glenn Anderson took a poke at Kay Whitmore. And I'm sure some of you have seen this just recently. I even put the video of, uh, of, of this up on, uh, on my Twitter. Uh, Anderson took a poke at Kay Whitmore, who was the goalie at the time, and Gino went ballistic. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> And he was able to, like, it's like Pat Quinn was, Pat Quinn said, like, this guy gets it in terms of, like, knowing the game. He wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have gone ballistic if the Canucks were in a position to actually win this game and win the series. But because they were down 7-1, he's like, you know what? I'm going crazy right now. And uh, anyway, the Canucks ended up winning game seven in St. Louis. So they won the series. I'm not saying they won the series because Gino did go ballistic. But if you watch the video of this, um, Gino went right to Glenn Anderson. There was no delay. Yeah, Gino actually had to jump over Kay Whitmore to get at Glenn Anderson. It was immediate, and the fans loved Gino because he stuck up for his teammates. It was really that simple. He knew his role, and he embraced it. He loved his teammates. He loved playing for the Canucks. He loved the fans. 
Of course he's a fan favorite. Yeah. So I had some time to kind of sit and think about that particular instance because we were trading videos and tweets and everything on our text thread last night. And everyone was trying to – how do you encapsulate the guy? What is that singular moment? And it's funny that you brought that one up because in that series, Anderson was uh, being re- ridiculously cheap with his stick throughout – there was the high stick that you mentioned on Burre, and there was one on God, Mark Watton. Oh, there's a name from the past in that same series. I think Mark Watton got a punch in the face, too. Yeah. Like it, was Ander- that him? Anderson was running around <laughs> sticking people. Well, mm-hmm. Mark Watton was the Canucks defenseman. That's oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. There was one guy on the Blues that got a, a, a good yeah. punch in the face. Too. I can't remember who it sorry. was. but um, So, anyway, basically what I remember from the series was they were getting so sick and tired of Anderson running around sticking guys and taking cheap shots without any retribution. Like, yes, he was penalized on the play, but there was a sense of that guy's taking liberties Mm -hmm. and no one's sticking up for our guys. And then Gino entered the fold. And that's when you talk to his former teammates and former coaches. Is it like not only did he stick up for guys, but there was a sense of pride and a sense of honor in doing that job is that everyone knew it was a super difficult job to do. And some guys maybe felt that they either, you know, could turn it on or turn it off, or sometimes maybe they just didn't want to go out and fight another human being mm-hmm. for a few few minutes. But the way that Gino approached it was, um, you know, it's not like the, a lot of the lines from that movie, Goon, it's an unfortunate title, but great movie, where the guy's like, I'm out there to protect my teammates. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I take pride in doing it. I can do it because I'm strong. I can do it because I'm fearless. I can do it because I'm a warrior. That's all the stuff that he did when he was out on the ice, and that's why years after, years after, uh, he's one of the first name. He's a first name guy in this city. I think There's not a, many, right? I, I think but you say Gino here, and everyone yeah. knows exactly who you're talking about. I think he's a top ten Vancouver sports legend. Yeah, everyone knows who you're talking about when you say Gino locally. Let's play the let's play the audio from that Blues game because uh, you know I think a lot of people are are sad this morning about. Gino Ojek, but uh, this might put a little smile on their face. Anderson pokes at the puck, and now a brawl breaks out. A brawl right next to the Vancouver net, as the Canucks did not like the... Oh! Ojek! Ojek! A big hit on Holder, and Ojek is loose. Look out! Ojek is loose. Who wants him? It's Adam Creighton. Oh, baby, here we go in the corner. The Canucks did not like Glenn Anderson poking at the puck under the body of Kay Whitmore. They want blood here at the Pacific Coliseum. Ojek and Creighton. Ojek, one of the toughest in the NHL. Everybody paired off. There's still a pile up at the side of the net. Now Ojek and Creighton come together. Creighton gets Ojek's sweater over his head. And Creighton ties up Ojek. Now they get Anderson off the bottom of the pile. He had been attacked. Now Ojek with his sweater, his undershirt, and his equipment ripped off, grabs onto Creighton, has Creighton's sweater over his head. Now Ojek wants to get Anderson. Ojek is naked, waist up. Creighton wants Ojek. Ojek ought to be suspended from here until a couple of years from now. So, um, another very important part of the Gino Ojik story um, was the fact that he was an indigenous player that broke into the league at the time where there were a handful of them, and he became an iconic player and figure and role model for a lot of people, but especially indigenous youth players. And we've seen that um, on a number of occasions in players that have talked about his legacy and what he meant. And then yesterday... Um, in a very poignant moment, it played out in real time as the Canucks were in the process of defeating the Carolina Hurricanes 4-3 in a shootout on Sunday. Uh, Ethan Bear, who going into that game was already uh, full of emotion because he was playing his former Carolina Hurricanes team, uh, scored a goal. And then in the aftermath, he was alluding to the fact that someone told him that his goal came very close to the time of day in which Gino Ojik passed away on Sunday. I'll let the audio speak for itself. This is Ethan Bear afterwards talking about the game, the 4-3 win the Canucks had over the Carolina Hurricanes and the impact that Gino Ojik had on his career and I would imagine 
similar sentiments for a lot of young Indigenous players either trying to be in the NHL or in the NHL. This is Ethan Bear. Honestly, very sad, to be honest. Um, yeah, like, um, you know, Gino was, was was there for me when, when, when Carolina came to town and we talked. And obviously the Vancouver was one of the main places I was, I was uh, most likely getting traded to. And, um, you know, I went and talked with Gino before. And um, yeah, he said, you know what, this... He was, he was rooting for me to come here, and um, yeah, it was very sad news. Like I, I honestly haven't really talked to my family or my friends about it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, it's you know, I heard I scored right after he passed, so I think that's pretty powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, it was meant to be. You know, maybe he was there for me on that shot, and so it's just uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just obviously, yeah, I haven't really got much to think about it on it yet. But, you know, We'll continue to remember Gino Ojic uh, for the entire show. Uh, if you want to text in any of your memories into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650, like Bobby in North Vancouver, he said, I was 12 years old, and my parents bought cheap tickets from Safeway. I remember those days. Yeah. To watch the Blackhawks play, this was Gino's first game, and he wore number 66. I remember thinking, this new kid must be another Mario Lemieux. Instead... He drops the gloves twice. Thanks for the fond memories, Gino. Rest in peace. Um, just, uh, again, a, a Vancouver sports legend, I think. If you're making a list of Vancouver sports legends, he makes my list. He makes my top ten list. Uh, so we'll continue to remember him all day uh, through our comments, through your comments in the Dunbar Lumber text line. And we'll also talk to Ian McIntyre at 8 o'clock, who I'm sure has some Fond Gino Ojik stories, but we got to get to all the other stuff that happened for the Vancouver Canucks over the weekend, both on the ice and off the ice. Let's start on the ice. Uh, Credit where credit is due. The Canucks won arguably the toughest game of their road trip, playing a very good Carolina team less than 24 hours after Saturday's game in Florida. And wouldn't you know it, the toughest game of their road trip... It was also the only game they won on this road trip. (laughs) The Carolina game came less than 24 hours. I mentioned this after Saturday's game in Florida, which they lost. Um, Sunday in Carolina, the Canucks were down 2-0 after the first period, and it really looked like they were going to go 0-5 on this road trip. They played well in the first period in terms of possession and limiting the scoring chances by the Carolina Hurricanes, but it was the... It was the blatant defensive coverage mistakes that got them in trouble once again. And on the first goal, uh, Stastny was left wide open on the first goal. And even John Garrett on the broadcast was saying, you could have driven a truck through the the, the, the seam that that pass to Stastny yeah. came through. And on the second goal, the Canucks couldn't get a clear. And they had chances to take control of the puck, make a play, get the puck out, whether through skating it out or – Putting it off the wall, they fumbled it and ended up in the back of the net, and it was 2 nothing. Um, but they played well, and it seemed like they weren't going to give up. And I know it's a low bar when you're like, hey, they're not giving up. Sure. I don't know if we should be there like, congratulations, you didn't quit. You tried. Uh, but they did try hard, and Ethan Bear scored against his old team, as mentioned, to make it 2-1. And then in the third period, JT Miller got his 17th of the season to tie it. That was a nice second effort goal from JT Miller. Now, it did look right at the end like the Canes were going to take it when Aho, very good player, blew by Luke Shen to score on a breakaway, and that goal came with less than three minutes in the game. But the Canucks pulled the goalie. And Brock Besser, who I thought had a really good game, Scored with 17 seconds left to force overtime. Now, no goals were scored in overtime. The Canes nearly scored. But the Canucks went on to win in the shootout when Elias Pettersson pulled the Forsberg, which he's done before, on Kachetkov. There you go. And the Canucks salvaged. They didn't salvage the road trip. The road trips was still a disaster, but they got the win, uh, an oppressive win. And now... <laughs> We discuss everything else that happened 
with the Canucks over the weekend, all the off-ice stories. Yeah, so part of the reason that uh, he's alluding to they tried hard and they worked hard is that a lot of questions about effort often get answered with the guy behind the bench, the head coach. Are they playing for the coach? Are they working hard for the coach? Well, there's an entire saga going on right now, literally right now as we talk, uh, about the Vancouver Canucks and their coaching situation. It is abundantly clear that Rick Tockett is going to be the next head coach of this hockey team. The question is when. Over the weekend, Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick, 32 thoughts during the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, uh, addressed that along with a number of other issues. It was almost like the Canucks got their own hot stove. It's like this is just Canucks stuff. Or, so the things that they needed to cover were obviously the Boudreaux situation, the Tockett situation, the Tanner Pearson situation, by the way, the investigation into why Tanner Pearson's hand surgery and recovery went the way that it did will be addressed by Jim Rutherford today at 10 a.m. Correct? You're just coughing. Okay. 10 a.m. Yes. Um, so we've got all that. There's also a Luke Shen update and a Bo Horvat update. So in the purposes of making sure that we get to all of this, we're just going to play the audio straight. It's a couple minutes, but it is chock full of information and updates on all these stories that pertain to the local hockey squadron, including... The situation with Boudreaux and Tockett. Laddie, let's take it away. This is Hockey Night in Canada on the weekend. Freege and Merrick. Well, Ron, the first thing I do is uh, if you're still curious about this, you need the best context. I would go to sportsnet.ca and read Ian McIntyre's excellent story that he filed last night because that gives a great picture of what's going on. And in it, Jim Rutherford said he wants to have a meeting with all of the stakeholders to sort this out, figure it out, and get to the bottom of it. I don't think that's going to happen before the NHL Players Association meets with Pearson's camp first. And I believe that's going to happen early next week. It's now involved. It wants to get all the information and it wants to see where this is going to go and what it needs to do as part of it. Also, I believe really next week, Pearson is going to have another surgery. And while no data is set, I think he's going to have to have another one after that. So obviously the biggest concern is for Pearson. I hope this all works itself out, but there is real concern about the future of his career and what this is all going to mean. But I think the next big step is the Players Association getting involved and figuring out what it needs to do. Okay, let's uh, get to talk it in a minute. First of all, all the names and what might be happening with uh, Shen and Horvat, uh, Besser, uh, Kosmenko. Wh where do you want to start? Well, I'll start with Shen because uh, where did Luke Shen win two Stanley Cups, Ron? Uh, Tampa. That's right. The Tampa Bay Lightning, he was two-time Stanley Cup champion with them, and I believe they are interested again. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a pitch for his services, and I, th I think they're a legit contender to get him. Well, Horvat, uh, meanwhile, Vancouver Canucks captain having a career season right now. And the Vancouver Canucks have spoken uh, to some teams about him and his availability. At least one of those conversations revolved around three players, including that team's number one prospect. Now, I wouldn't describe at this point any of these conversations as serious. Uh, it sounds very much more like the Vancouver Canucks are just trying to read the marketplace and get a sense of what they could do at this point. And there's two ways, really, that the Vancouver Canucks can do a deal with their captain. One, suspense, drama. We'll get to the second part of the clip in just a second here. So right now, you've got the Tanner Pearson situation, which, again, I mentioned is going to be addressed uh, at 10 a.m. this morning. Canucks uh, president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, is going to do that. You've got the Bo Horvat situation. Enter Luke Shen into the chat. A return to Tampa Bay, potentially. And, of course, we've got the Rick Tockett, Bruce Boudreaux situation. Fridge essentially went out and said that, you know, this is a matter of when, not if. And it brings to light a whole bunch of really awkward situations, including the fact that you've got a head coach in Bruce Boudreaux that I think knows that his time is short for the job. It is not a good situation. I will throw that out there. For more background on this story and possibly what's to come, uh, more from the Hockey Night in Canada panel on Saturday. That is a strict rental. The other, uh, they would allow the uh, the trading team to talk to Pat Morris, Bo Horvat's agent, and put together a big, bigger deal and a contract extension. As of this point right now, the Vancouver Canucks have not allowed any team to talk to Pat Morris. The belief is as well that Vancouver will go back to Horvat's camp at least one more time for one more perhaps last volley to try to get a contract extension done. We'll see where that one goes. And we've been talking uh, last few days about Rick Tockett and the possibility of him there. Uh, when and or if the when and if the whole coaching change, change comes, uh, I do believe it's going to be Rick Tockett. 
On the subject of Rick Tockett, uh, we're going to go to break. We're going to come back. We're going to have Craig Morgan, longtime Coyotes beat writer on the program, who, of course, covered the team during the time in which they were coached by Rick Tockett. We'll ask about his thoughts on the job Tockett did there, strengths as a coach, weaknesses as a coach, his relationship with Oliver ackman Larson, all of these things as we kind of wait for the inevitability of Rick Tockett becoming the next head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. This is your home of the Canucks. Don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. on a Monday, Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, We have a lot of stuff going on on this show. Craig Morgan, longtime Arizona Coyotes beat writer, is going to join us in just a minute here to talk about Retalkit. We should mention that we have a bunch of giveaways this week as well. A-Dog, I know I'm going to throw you on the spot, so I'll give you a little lead up here. Can you tell the people about the first part of this contest, the Canucks ticket giveaway? So we're giving away tickets all week. The first bunch of tickets is going to be for Wednesday's game against Tampa. Is that correct? Correct. We're giving away a pair pair today and tomorrow. We'll be giving away two pairs of Canucks tickets on Wednesday to the Avs game on Friday. Then Thursday and Friday, we're giving away a pair pair of tickets each day to the Oilers game on Saturday. So lots of tickets this week. There are some interesting opponents coming into Rogers Arena, and the Canucks play another three games in four nights the same way they finish their road trip through Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina. This one is just at home. Tampa Bay on Wednesday. And the Canucks, of course, recently played Tampa Bay and lost to them 5-4. to four. Uh, Colorado on Friday. The Canucks recently played them as well. They beat them 4-2 to two, January 5th at Rogers Arena. But you have to wonder if Colorado might be getting things together. Did you see what they did to Ottawa? A slim 7-0 victory. 7-0 victory over Ottawa. And then Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers come to town on Saturday. So Tampa Bay, Colorado, Edmonton, a pretty compelling trio of opponents. Uh, So the other big story, by the way, we've got some other cool contest stuff that we'll get to later in the program. But uh, one of the the many stories, I should say, not the big story, because it's hard to classify one as the biggest, but one of the many stories emanating from Canuckland this weekend uh, was the future of head coach Bruce Boudreaux. And when, and I'm saying when, uh, he'll be replaced by Rick Tockett. So to find out a little bit more about Tockett, uh, we thought we'd go to Craig Morgan, Phoenix Sports, longtime Arizona Coyotes beat writer here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So the Rick Tockett era in Arizona, uh, four years on the job, nearly 300 games behind the bench. Um, some levels of success for sure. There was that playoff appearance during the hermetically sealed bubble in 2020 where the Coyotes uh, did some damage in the bubble before ultimately being ousted. But we wanted to get a picture of the entire body of work that Tockett had over his four years in Arizona. You were there for all of it, obviously. Um, If there is one particular thing that stood out about Tockett in terms of personality or coaching style, something that you would want to relate to Vancouver listeners about what they might be in store for Craig, what would that be? I would say it's hard driving expectations. Rick Tockett has the same sort of expectations for his players that he had for himself. Sometimes that plays well if you get the right type of personality. Sometimes it does not play well because he gets frustrated if players don't live up to those expectations. Um, Listen, you've probably heard this said of every coach who's ever coached. Eventually, their voice wears thin in the room. Um, I thought Rick Tockett did some really good things here with Very limited resources, both financially and personnel-wise. But in the end, especially with a new GM coming in and the Coyotes wanting to rebuild, they they had to start over again. And I I think it probably was time because I think the the players needed a new voice like Andre Turigny. He had a reputation in Arizona as a defense-first coach. Is that his philosophy, or was that the philosophy that was foisted upon him when he looked at that lineup? That's it's the latter. And it's, it always amuses me when I hear that coaches coach to their personnel. Dave Tippett had the same reputation when he was here, um, but he had coached in Dallas before leading some of the highest in the league. You coach to your personnel. You have to make adjustments for what you have. 
the Coyotes were not a team that really could play with the puck, that could take risks because they just didn't have a lot of playmakers. They didn't have a lot of skill in the lineup. So that was the style of play that he determined he needed to play to be successful. Let's talk about the relationships that he had with his players. And, and I read that interview that you did with him uh, shortly after he was let go in Arizona or they agreed to part ways, however it ended in Arizona. And he said, you know, going forward, um, you know, or he said, listen, I think it's important to have one-on-one conversations with players on a regular basis. Like it can't just be these speeches to the team. You have to meet with the players individually and you have to do it often, whether it's talking to them for two minutes a day or 20 minutes a day, you have to have that relationship with the players. So to me, that sounds like a player's coach, but I also know that he can be very hard on his players. So how would you describe talking? Because oftentimes you get coaches divided into either one of two camps. You're either the player's coach that the players love to play for, or you're the taskmaster that they're like, you know what? I don't like the guy, but if he can get results, I'm fine with it. Well, I think you summarized it perfectly because he got that reputation as a player's coach in Pittsburgh really based a lot on his relationship with Phil Kessel. He was able to unlock Phil Kessel. Of course, it helped that Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby were on that roster as well. Um, But he he did become a communicator as an assistant coach, and I, I think he carried that over. He talked a lot about wanting to carry that over in Arizona, but on the flip side, yeah, he is a hard-driving guy. Like I mentioned at the top, he has high expectations, and and sometimes when the players aren't delivering, you know, he can, he can get a little harsh on them. He can get a little negative on them. I'm not sure that that works as well with some of the younger generation of players. I do agree. You have to communicate constantly. You've heard, probably heard a million coaches now say, players today don't just take direction and go do it. They want to know the why and if there's a better way. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I, I think it's true. Um, sometimes it works for talk. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the personality. I think sometimes, and I wonder sometimes if Rick Tockett didn't recognize that he had to adjust his coaching style to some of the personalities that were on the team. One of those guys is playing for the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> right now in Oliver ekman Larson. Yeah. Talk a little bit about his relationship with Oliver ekman Larson. It wasn't great. Listen, I think both sides will probably downplay it, but it wasn't great. And I'm not saying that talk was harsh all the time on Oliver, but he had high expectations when he came in because he knew what Oliver had done before he arrived here, mostly under Dave Tippett. Um, so he, he expected him to be a take charge, aggressive player. That's not Oliver's personality. It's just not who he is. Oliver is a guy who needs to be massaged. He needs to feel important. Um, I, I listen, I don't even know if you can unlock that in Oliver anymore. I think that side of his game is gone. I don't think he's an elite player anymore. You guys probably seen definitive proof of that, but yeah. that was one of the issues here when, when he was working with Oliver, he had really high expectations. Their, their relationship soured. Oliver had been through a ton of stuff before, you know, his, his mother died and that rocked him more than, more than people know. Uh, aside from that, Dave Tippett is out. That's the guy who really shepherded him to NHL adulthood. Then Shane Doan, one of his closest friends, and really his mentor is out. A lot of stuff happened to Oliver. And then in comes this guy with an old school, you need to do it this way mentality. It just didn't work. It didn't mesh. Is it fair to suggest that the mutual departure, it was both Tockett and the Coyotes, that it wasn't necessarily because of job performance? Because I know he kind of came along at a time where there was, you know, the constant upheaval around the organization and Bill Armstrong came in and it felt like Bill Armstrong just, he, he wanted to start fresh, start from scratch and almost remove the John Shaka part of this thing entirely. So it was almost like, I have to get rid of Tockett as a coach. I know I was reading the quotes in the aftermath and he said, Tockett's a very good coach. He's a very good man. This was a tough decision. It almost felt like if they were going to wipe the slate clean, they had to get rid of him, even if he didn't necessarily deserve being dismissed for lack of a better term. Yeah, I think that's fair. It, listen, you, you've seen what's happened with the Coyotes the last couple seasons. And, you know, I talked to Rick about it, too. He didn't want to be a part of a long-term rebuild where there was just no hope of winning. And that's exactly what the Coyotes are right now. They are not even, let's face it, they're not even trying to win. So, he, he you know, he, I think he, he thought if there was a plan, if there was a, a, a decent plan in place, and it wasn't going to be this long-term thing that, that he might be able to stick around. But I, I think when he got a sense of what it was and, and really like what you said earlier with Bill as well, wanting to strip it all down, 
it just made sense for the two sides to part ways. Craig, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this today. I also want to make light of the fact that we didn't ask any questions about the current Arizona Coyotes, although I will say everything seems to be according to plan after winning some games early. It's what, nine consecutive losses? Yeah, one off the franchise record. This was the Coyotes we expected to see. (laughs) They finally got into form, and it's great. So anyway, uh, we will do this later on in the years. I'm sure there's going to be lots more stories from the Coyotes, but thank you for taking some time this morning uh, to enlighten us about Rick Tockett. Much appreciated. Absolutely, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Thanks, too. Craig. Thanks, That's Appreciate Craig. it. Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports, longtime Coyotes beat writer, talking about uh, the former coach of the Arizona Coyotes, Rick Tockett, who is going to be the next head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's, it just I don't know if he needs to need some time to uh, get out of his contract with TNT. Uh, lots of reports that he needs to send in four weeks' notice um, to – extricate himself from that relationship uh, get, his per- pers- get his personal affairs in yeah. order um you know i think a lot of people wondered if we would have a press release this morning at <laughs> the canucks uh we're going to make a coaching change um for me this all lines up with the all-star break coming at the end of the month maybe they have a new uh head coach after that all-star break i think their last game is i want to say january 27th it's a friday at Rogers Arena against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Who knows about the timing um, on all this? I'm sure Jim Rutherford is going to get asked about that in his press availability today at 10 a.m. Now, the press availability was announced yesterday, and it said it was to talk about the Tanner Pearson situation. But I'm sure some reporters might ask some other stuff about all the other stuff that's going on with the team. I can't help but think that... If the Canucks are bringing in Rick Tockett as head coach, guys, anyone want to full tear, tear down rebuild? Not going to happen. If Rick Tockett is going to be the head coach, I'm going to read something from an interview that Rick Tockett did with Craig Morgan. And this was right after he was let go uh, by the Coyotes. So not too long ago. Um, and the question is, given the difficult situations that you were presented with during your two stops as a head coach, Tampa in Arizona, are you looking for something a little different in your next opportunity? And here's what Tockett had to say. I have been a coach for five and a half years in some trying circumstances. I'm not going to take any job or the first job that comes up. There had better be stability. Nothing says stability like the Vancouver Canucks. Mm. There had better be strong leadership. Okay, You've got to have a somewhat talented team and a commitment to winning Those things have to be there for me to be involved. So I'll just jump in. Craig Morgan, who we just had on the air seconds ago, uh, reiterated that almost verbatim. Part of the reason that Rick Tockett is no longer with the Arizona Coyotes is because the Arizona Coyotes said, "Uh, we're not going to do any of those things that you're looking for in the job. Be competitive? No. Have a plan in place to win right now? Uh Uh-uh. That's not the Coyotes. So they, it, the wording of the release from the Coyotes and Tockett was it was a mutual parting of ways right. when he left. Because mm-hmm. Tockett didn't really want to go down the road the Coyotes were going down. And I think the Coyotes realized that Tockett had no interest in what they were offering up. So this is something we discussed last week, and a lot of people were screaming at the inbox. And we kind of had to clarify, hey, this is not us endorsing this. This is us telling you what we think is going to happen. And unless there's some sort of hiccup or there's been some bad reporting, which is possible. Um, This is what I think is going to happen. The Canucks are going to bring in Tockett and they're going to figure out, or they're going to try and figure out some structure, play better defensively. And Tockett is going to analyze the players and say, I think I can work with him or I don't think I can work with him. And the Canucks are going to try and get a running start on next season. And we ask the question, how important is next season? Seems like it's going to matter. So for any of you that were, out there praying and hoping that the Canucks would be like, hey, listen, okay, what we were doing wasn't working, right? And we need to take a major philosophical um, change of course, and we're going to rebuild. We're going to tear it down, and things are going to be bad here for a few years. There are going to be no expectations for making the playoffs. We're going to get rid of some of these bad contracts. We're going to accumulate draft picks. We're going to draft. We're going to be bad intentionally, although they might not say that. They're not going to say this. 
This is not the Vancouver Canucks philosophy. For better or worse, don't yell at me. I'm just the messenger. If Rick Tockett is the head coach, expectations will be playoffs next season. Yeah, just like they were this season. It didn't work last time, but this time (laughs) it'll work. Guys, in hindsight, the magic beans that we had bought before did not work, but these magic beans are going to work. Yeah, I don't I mean I look it's a frust it's a frustrating thing for a lot of fans. I get that. I understand. I know there's probably some of you right now. Someone just said Craig Morgan came on Vancouver Radio at 6:40 in the morning and broke the city. Look, this is what they're going this is the way that it's going to go. I'm fairly definitive in saying this. We had one person pushing back that, "Oh, they haven't hired Tockett yet." Tockett's coming in. If you want to hear even more evidence to this, we've got some audio from the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, this is Freege, correct, if I'm not mistaken here, Laddie? Laying out in detail about the move that everybody, probably including Tocket and Boudreaux at this point, know is going to happen, expects going to happen. Really just down to the machinations of it. Uh, here's more from Elliot Friedman, uh, Sportsnet's uh, 32 Thoughts podcast. I think it's time for them to just say to him, look, we're making a change it's not right or not fair to have you keep around doing this. I think with Boudreaux, I think what you can do is say, look, we're making a change here. First of all, I don't think they wanted to do it on the road. I think there's a couple things going on here. I don't think they wanted to do it on the road. And I also heard that I think they want to do one announcement. I think they want to do it all at once. And yes, I get all of that, but we all see what's happening here. And I, and I think the right thing to do is, you know, you could always say to him, do you want to even go to him and say, do you want to coach it out or until we make the change? Because everybody knows what's going to happen here. Or, Jeff, what you do is say, Bruce, we're not going to make you do this. You're going to go, and we're going to have an interim do it until we have the next person in. So here's the thing. Um, however long this takes to play out, you were suggesting maybe the all-star break. Six games until then. That feels like a long time. We just had one announcement, so could that mean today's? I know today's announcement's on Pearson, but I mean, theoretically, if it's one announcement, could they just so. sneak it in today or something? Right at the end? Oh, by the way, by there's the way, no head coach. By the by. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think so. So there's, no. a, lot, okay. so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, one point of which, and you know, I heard Jeff Merrick, Sportsnet's very own, um, talking to... Gord Stellick and Scott Laughlin on Sirius XM Radio on the drive-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, uh, the knives are out nationally yeah. because of how Boudreaux is being treated at the end of his tenure. Yeah, and we were talking about this last out, week. Right? They, they should mercy fire him. It's a bad look for the Canucks to keep trotting Bruce Boudreaux out there when he knows he's done yeah. in Merrick, one way or the other, and he still has to go out and answer questions about why his team can't win. Merrick had that exact line of questioning, just used it, uh, the terminology, putting him out of his misery rather than sure. doing it for mercy. Yeah. Same idea, different verbiage. It is – there's no other way to look at this than to say um, nobody wanted it to go this way. This is not the way that anybody wanted it to go. Bruce Boudreaux, management, ownership, players. But now it is going that way. The question is, does the organization have, I guess for lack of a better phrase, the stomach to wait this long and just say, hey, Bruce, we know that you're a dead man walking. Get out there and try and yeah. get the guys to play hard for you. Well, I've been advocating for the water drinking bird. To become the interim uh, head coach of, well, of the Canucks, you I know? am a little or rip pu- the dog. I am a little puzzled as to why that hasn't just been the move already. Just you know, the water advocate- drinking bird or, or, or rip the dog. Yes, oh, yeah, right. No, or sorry, Mike, or Mike Yo. No, no, we'll put a hu- we'll start with putting a human behind the bench. Okay, and then the human would be Mike Yo. Well, like- maybe we we discussed this last week. Maybe um, in order to make that move, Mike Yo says, "Okay, well, I want to raise though." Halfway through the season, I want to raise because I'm going to be the head coach. I'm going to have more responsibilities, and maybe they don't want to do that. I guess if that's an option, then you've got to weigh it out against financial obligation to the amount of scrutiny they are going to face. Because, look, part of the reason I bring up what I listened to this morning is I'm like, there's your narrative for the next week. Well, what if things get what if the, yeah, what if the Canucks get blown out at home, too? How ugly could it get? Let's say uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers come in on Saturday. So the Saturday night game at Rogers Arena. The place will have some energy in it because it's Saturday and it is Connor McDavid and there will be Oilers fans there and there will be Canucks fans there and it will have that 
mix of energy that you get on a Saturday night. What if the Oilers come in and blow the Canucks away? Bruce Boudreaux has been in hockey as a player or a coach for the better part of, what, five decades? <laughs> Honestly, he's a 600-win NHL head coach. Mm-hmm. He probably knows every single person in that very insular hockey community at that level. And if you think that a guy like that is going to get treated the way that he is and there's not going to be blowback, you're nuts. The coaching fraternity is not happy with the way this is going on. I wonder what Rick Tockett thinks about this, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. He's got to be feeling like he's in a very weird, acrimonious, awkward spot. There are countless executives, scouts, assistant coaches, everyone else who is watching what's going on right now and saying, even if he didn't do the greatest job in Vancouver, the way he's going out is not befitting of a guy that has 600 wins on his resume. And it's not just the way he's going out. It's the way he's been supported the entire time that Jim Rutherford has been president of Hockey Ops. Last year... Um, it, I mean, in hindsight being 2020s, it should have ended after the Bruce, there it is, you know, terrific half season, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Right. It should have been, you caught lightning in a bottle and you brought back the good vibes and you did what we asked you to do. This year has been, um, a nightmare from a coaching perspective from day one, pre day one training camp, obviously in light of what Jim Rutherford said, a handful of games into the season in that now sort of infamous hockey night in Canada uh, after hours segment, uh, Boudreaux's been undercut verbally. I don't know three or four times by his employers. Yep, that's both Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. <laughs> and despite all this, Boudreaux's still gone out and still made tough decisions. Tried to preach accountability onto this group, I and mean, we had a fairly noticeable healthy scratch in Oliver Ekman Larson just a handful of games ago. Mm-hmm. Boudreaux didn't mail it in at any stage during any of this. I think he realized that uh, whatever he was trying to implement wasn't working. And more importantly, I think at a certain point, he realized that his style didn't jive with what the organization wanted. You know, I was thinking about this when um, the Canucks were playing Carolina yesterday. And I realized the Canucks won the game, but I think we can all recognize that Carolina's a better hockey team than the Vancouver Canucks has a much better chance at winning a Stanley Cup this season, at least. Do you think it matters that Rod Brindamore is the head coach of Carolina and Bruce Boudreaux is the head coach of the Canucks? And when you look back at their playing careers, Bruce Boudreaux was the guy that would pile up all sorts of points, but defensively, there were issues, right, with him as a player. Rod Brindamore, one of the most celebrated two-way forwards in NHL history. I I just – I honestly – listen, I'm not saying that, you know, you you can't be a good defensive coach if you were mostly a – um, offensive, you know, player, and 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 maybe you could even argue like, actually, the offensive guys will probably be the ones that recognize the importance of defense because they'll look at their careers honestly and be like, you know, I, I probably should have played more defense. But the reason I bring that up is I wonder if the Canucks are going to try and bring a bit of that Rick Tockett personality to the team. I think there's a part of that. I think anytime you have Some, a guy behind the bench, like he's he was a to, mean he yeah. was he was a mean dude when he played. He scored goals. He played for some very tough Flyers team. It wasn't the Broad Street Bullies, but it was the '80s versions of the Flyers, and those were very good teams, and they were very tough teams. Yeah, I mean, look, they Rutherford and Alvine got a firsthand look at what Tockett does as a coach. They had him in Pittsburgh. Right? He was an assistant coach, but he was still there and still was probably the very demanding, intense guy that they wanted behind the bench. I mean, look how often that Rutherford especially talked glowingly about the Mike Sullivan era and the change in coach when they went from Sullivan and brought him up from the American League. Well, Rick Tockett was a part of that. So from their experience, they've got a guy that they're familiar with, that they trust, that's available, and that's a big part of all of this. And is going to change the direction, at least in terms of the messaging, the coaching, and the style. You know, another interesting thing that Craig Morgan said in that interview, at least to me anyway, interesting, was that Tockett isn't necessarily a quote-unquote defensive head coach. Rick Tockett's a head coach that looks at his group and says, how am I going to get the best possible results out of this group of players? He's not going to try and force the playing style upon them. He's going to say, okay. We don't have enough talent to compete on a nightly basis. So what can we do? Well, we can grind it out. Now, the question's going to be, 
are you going to be able to do that with this particular group? Because mm. I don't know or if you're. You do I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Jason. But it sounds as though that sometimes the Vancouver Canucks have a hard time taking the coach's message and then executing it on the ice. That sometimes when the coach asks for certain things in practice and video sessions, it doesn't always translate to what they do on the ice. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but sometimes this group of current Vancouver Canucks keeps making the same mistakes that they made the game prior. You I know, mean, it's worth you know, it if talk, it will make them back check. You know what? <laughs> um, I never thought of that. What? But I, but I think you might you might be onto something with the Vancouver Canucks. You know, it's like almost as if. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> the group has an identity. I mean, if Rick Tockett can make JT Miller back check, it will all be worth it. Uh, it's going to be so much more than that, man. It's, it's not. It's, it's just it's defensive but, instincts. It's 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 recognition in your own zone. Well, when 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 uh, who gave the pass to uh, Stasny? Was it Svechnikov on the first goal? Yes, I think so. Right, the, the cross team pass that uh, Cheech said you could drive a truck through. Um, I was thinking, man, it must be fun to watch to play the Canucks to play them. Yeah. And just be like, man, we can have some so much fun in the offensive zone. These guys fall for anything. Let me let me just phrase it this way. I know we're up against it for time, but um, there's coaches, and this is I think Boudreaux, who will say, "I'm going to give you guys the tools to correct your problems. We're going to show you your mistakes, and you guys are going to learn from your mistakes." And then there's other coaches that are like, "You guys don't learn from your mistakes, so I'm going to correct them for you." And that's often with very structured, very straightforward play where there's not a lot of interpretation about what you're supposed to do with the puck, right? It's either you do this or you don't, which is why these teams are kind of boring when they play, right? That's why Barry Trotz hockey, it's kind of, you, it's very predictable. You know exactly what it's going to do, but it's low risk, right? You're not going to have puck management decisions. Aren't You get less and less of those, right? It's puck management expectations. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we do when we're in possession, those sorts of things. There's a lot to discuss right now. I mean, we are talking like Rick Tockett is going to be the next head coach of the Canucks, but nothing for certain. I've heard some stories that Tockett has been close to becoming the head coach of other teams, and the deals fell through at the last minute. Uh, We know that nothing goes smoothly when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. So Bruce Boudreau is still the head coach. If you're just joining us and going, wait, did they actually fire Bruce? He still is the head coach. Um, but there's just a lot of smoke around this Rick Tockett story. Okay, we're going to take a quick break from the Vancouver Canucks. Actually, it's going to be about a 45-minute break, and we're going to talk to Mike Tanier about the NFL. Some crazy games over the weekend. A lot of games that were a lot closer than we expected, not the Seahawks game, although Every- in the first half it was. Yeah. Uh, and then right after Mike Tanier, we're going to talk to uh, Dave Softy Mahler out of Seattle, talk about the Seahawks season. Um, it ended, I think, predictably against the 49ers and that the Seahawks just did not have enough against a very, very talented 49ers team, uh, 49er team, and that's on both sides of the ball. Uh, but looking ahead to the offseason for the Seahawks is very exciting because they got a bunch of draft picks, including the fifth overall pick. Uh, they got a big decision to make on Geno Smith, whether or not to bring him back, considering He's going to earn a lot more money than he did this season. So lots of football talk coming up. Then we'll dive back into the inbox. Then we'll talk to iMac about all things Canucks and also share some memories of Gino Ojek. Lots to come on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.